0: All right, Psalm 51. Man, I, I hope that you had a good week. If you found yourself uh, having a chance to practice what we talked about last week, confession, hopefully you don't let a day go by without confessing and uh, to the Lord and speaking to Him. And uh, It's, it's an important practice, an important uh, thing to cultivate in your life if you're going to embark on the change that God requires of us. So hopefully every day is a good day to practice good confession, godly confession. That's why I want you to go to Psalm 51, because in just a little bit we're going to evaluate. How do you, what do your confessions sound like? you ever take some time and actually give some thought to my confession? Does it sound like what God would want for me? Um, and maybe pattern after this one from, from David in Psalm 51. It's an excellent one. So this morning we're going, to begin, we're going to continue our series on sanctification. For those of you who are just joining us for the first time, maybe in a little while, uh, we've been doing this for several weeks, looking at what it means to change. Christian life's all about transformation. Uh, we shouldn't be the same people we were 40 years ago. Um, uh, some of you weren't even alive 40 years ago, so you say, oh, that's okay, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> so, uh, well, how about, you shouldn't be the same person you were even a year ago, so hopefully you're growing in that way, and this is designed. This series is designed to help you see how God performs that change by His grace. Divine grace is needed for change. You can't do it by self, self transformation, self improvement. Uh, you need entirely God's grace to help you make the change that's necessary. So we stated last week that uh, genuine spiritual transformation is impossible without the change that begins with confession. You can't. You can never change if you never confess your sin. So we spent a great deal of time delineating what the difference was between um, what confession is and what admission is. There are a, There's a difference. I put a little difference. I, I, I want to shade that nuance for you because I think it's important that we aren't just admitting uh, our our faults, but that we are actually doing biblical confession. I, I remember watching a, C, a TV show back in the 90s. I know it was old even then, um, of Happy Days. You guys ever watch Happy Days and the Fonz? Yeah. I always think about the Fonz's propensity to not be able to, he could never admit he was wrong. He could never say that, remember? He always had that hard time. Uh, I think that's how we as Christians tend to do our confession. Um, Lord, I sinned, you know, I, I just can't get it out. It kind of hangs up in your throat. Uh, I love the way that David uh, in Psalm 51 gives us a full-throated confession of his sin. He's not only just confessing his wrong, but he's confessing, the truth of God's word, which I think brings the restorative change that needs to be taking place. Five qualities of tr- confession we looked at, looked at last week. Confession should be spontaneous. That means it's uh, not strong-armed out of you. It's not somehow drummed out of you through uh, pressure and through all sorts of um, interrogation techniques. It, it comes forth from a heart that desires to be right with God. and um, It, it flows, flows from a heart that's desired to, be, to put things to right with the Lord and be clean. Confession is self-indicting, that is to say uh, you're not blaming others, (laughs) you're not faulting the circumstances you found yourself in or giving excuses behind why it is that you fell into the sin but you're recognizing that that you are personally responsible you have personal ownership of that. Confession is also sorrowful it should have an element of sorrowfulness in it, it's not um, something to be proud of, you don't proudly boast about your confession There's some sorrow involved in that. Um, Confession is also sincere, and it's specific. We looked at the fact that Scripture tells us we should confess our sins, plural. That is to say, be specific. And um, that way, uh, we get clear with the Lord that way. All right, admission versus confession. Admission is just a simple acknowledgement of sin. Um, And that could be brought on by the fact that uh, an admission could be just simply the, the evidence is so forthcoming and so evident you can't deny it. So an admission comes out. Uh, yeah, I'll admit only so far the evidence shows me to be guilty. And that's very oftentimes the way we admit. We, we give admissions when we're caught, when we are uh, found out. Um, admission is um, only a partial acknowledgement. It's not true confession because confession goes on to be a full agreement with God in his appraisal of the sinfulness of your sin. So you're not, you're actually standing on, the, on God's side saying, I look at your word, I see what you say about my sin, and I fully agree, I assent, I, I, I fully stand in, with you, the judge, on how you've ruled on this particular area of my life. So uh, it's a full agreement, and so I think we want to make that very clear. Confession is even still significantly more than just an admission. It's just more than an acknowledgment of your guilt because confession is a complete affirmation of God's truth. And by that I mean you're not just confessing your sin. You're confessing the righteousness of God. You're confessing that God's just and he's vindicated in his, in his uh, confrontation of you of your sin. Um, you are um, upholding God's justice. You're confessing all of the truth that God has given to you in revelation of scripture. So confession is more than just, I admit I sin. Lord, I admit that you are true and you're just, and what you have said here is absolutely bearing and true in my life. You're holy. You're righteous. You cannot possibly be wrong in your assessment of my life. And I fully agree and admit to that. Lord, help me to see not only my sin, but your remedy for that sin. And so the confession is very, it's much more fuller than just admitting that uh, once in a while we, we make, a mess, make, make a mistake or we flub up somehow. Confession requires you to be preaching or speaking the truth to yourself. So when someone is truly confessed, they're not just ashamed about their sin and quiet and subdued, that they they begin, to say, they begin to speak these things to themselves. They begin to speak truthful things to themselves that are answers from God in, uh, in, in, in reference to the sin that was committed. So if you want to look at two biblical habits of a true confessor, how do you know that someone's truly confessing? Um, we looked at five con- facts of confession. Now let's look at the confessor himself. What should be illustrative of this confessing um, this confessing act or this this heart of the confessor? Number one, you should see an adoption of lifestyle confession. Uh, That's my term, lifestyle confession. That just means that confession is not just a single act an event that takes place where you just cough up the alligator and you just man, you just get it off your chest and you just open up. That's an act of confession and that needs to happen. But Confession isn't just a single act. It's, it's a process because you'll revisit that confessing act over and over again. You make it part of your practice, and you'll see that in Psalm 51 in just a few moments. Oftentimes I hear someone say, I've already confessed my sin, but nothing really changed. I'm still continuing in that sin. Have you ever had that experience? You confess a sin to the Lord, you're still continuing in it? Sooner or later, every Christian comes face to face with the fact that, uh, with the realization that confession of sin does not always add up to forsaking of sin. Even though we've confessed a specific sin for what seems like the hundredth time, we soon, uh, we soon lose heart that anything's actually going to ever change. And when someone says that to me, I want to ask them, okay, so sin continues to be a habit and a pattern. I, I want to ask you, did, is that real confession then? Or is there something deficient in the confession that you're not not, not really understanding? Um, I, I call it the, the, the Protestant confessional booth. <laughs> All right, uh, we have this. Uh, we go to the Lord. We are forgiveness seeking. We are promise making. We are self censuring. We 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 give, make promise that we're going to do some kind of right act to counteract the evil act that we just did. I mean, it's sort of similar to the, the Catholic version of uh, penance and confession. Uh, the problem is that's that's a wrong view of repentance, or wrong view of confession. Confession is uh, not a Protestant confessional booth. If you think of it that way, and if that's what you're performing, then then you need to have a better understanding of Psalm 51, I think, is the best remedy for that. And that is, you're not just supposed to affirm your own guilt and say, yes, Lord, I'm sinful, I, I broke this law, I broke this commandment of yours, but you need to also go on beyond that and confess God's grace and confess God's um, truth and righteousness I'm going to show you that in just a few moments so we're affirming both guilt and grace that's the confession as- aspect a true confessor will confess both God's guilt of his sin God's, um, and God's grace uh, why do feelings of guilt remain after confession maybe you've had that experience where you've confessed and you say man I still feel guilty I still have the sense that the guilt remains even after I confess has this ever happened for you as well, man, I, I, I just still don't feel forgiven. Uh, well, that's because we think of it as confession is just something we do once and we move on and do a happily ever ever after state. Uh, you know, so somehow we think that confession just absolves the sin, and well, in one case, yes, confession does allow God's forgiveness to, to, to forgive and wash away that sin and to cleanse it and cleanse you from that unrighteousness. But confession does require a habitual and continual action in order to, um, in order to uh, recognize that God's grace is a- operative and effective in your life. Um, I say that perhaps it might be, if someone says, I, I still feel guilty uh, after I confess, I say, well, what, what, did your, what did you say? What did your confession sound like? Uh, what, w- what were you saying? What kinds of things were you saying? Because confessions are usually difficult and uncomfortable, they tend to be short. They tend to be um, shallow and fall short of actual full agreement with God in his assessment of sin. So you need to learn to confess your guilt and, your, and God's grace. Develop good habits of confession, which you will need to persuade your heart with over time, as your life begins to conform to God's word and his will. And a good example of this is Psalm 51. Ask yourself if your confessions sound like David in this passage. The whole chapter feels like a procedure, like it's like it's a process, as you walk with him verse by verse by verse. I would love, someday I would like to write a book on Psalm 51 that just takes someone through 14 verses, one, one a week perhaps, just to look at each of these verses because this helps focus you as uh, focus your, your 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 interest in confession in proper biblical ways. Uh, for instance, look at the first verse of Psalm fifty-one. It says this: "For the choir director, a psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba." Now you know the story, right? This is the aftermath. David has been struck at his heart. Now he knows he's uh, needs to come clean with the Lord. He says this, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. So his appeal, first thing we see is an appeal to God for forgiveness on the basis of loving kindness and God's merciful compassion. He's not so zeroed in on his sin at first. He's zeroed in on God and his his greatness, right? God's great mercy, his great loving kindness. What someone needs to know in confession is that they need to be con- concentrating on God's character, God's great forgiveness. So you need to be an appeal to God on the basis of his character, not yours. God, I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve your loving kindness or mercy, but that's who you are. Right? So there's an appeal to God on the basis of his gracious forgiveness. So you're confessing, God, your loving kindness, your, your mercifulness, you're, you're, you're rich toward me in those ways. I ask you on basis of who you are to forgive me. You see, secondly here, on the second verse, if wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, he says, for I, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So he, we see an appeal to God for a cleansing. Lord, I, I, need, I need to be cleansed. I need to be washed. I need to be cleared of this filth in my life. And he says that I'm doing it on the basis of the fact I acknowledge my sin. So we, we, we stand full front with it and say that I, I, I don't deny it. I don't sidestep it. I don't dodge it. I don't try to discolor it or change it in any way. It is what it is in its awfulness. I acknowledge it. And on the basis of that, he says, I, I know my sin is ever before me. What that means is he has constant access to be sinful. And Lord, I, I stand not only admitting, but I'm helpless to fight my own sin. It's ever before me. It's always there. So there's an appeal to God for cleansing. After he's appealed to God on the basis of his character and on asking God to do a work for him through cleansing, acknowledging and accepting his acknowledging and acceptance of both the charges and the consequences is important. If you're gonna actually confess your sin, you need to admit not only that God is infinitely more faithful and righteous than you are and that he's capable of cleansing you also need to in your, conf- in your confession accept both the charges against you and the, and the consequences because your sin violates the judge's character if you look here it says against you and you only I have sinned and have done what is evil in your sight you, you sinned against the judge himself you are justified you are blameless God when you judge what you say is absolutely true and right. And I accept the charges and the consequences of my sin are, are, are yours to, to, to distribute as you see fit. Okay? My sin vindicates the judge's pronouncement. Lord, if you bring consequences out of my sin that make my life miserable, Lord, that would be just. That would be absolutely right. Okay? That's important. Coming to terms with that is so key and critical in, in confession. Do your do your confessions thus therefore now sound like this have they sounded like this in the past i know mine always haven't so verse 5 behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin in sin my mother conceived me behold you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom so there is an in this confession there's an asp- aspiration for god's inward purification and an assessment for a radical nature of my sin. Lord, I know that I'm sinful not because of the things I do, but because of who I am in the innermost person. The fountain of my life is corrupt and polluted. The innermost person is what I need you to do the work in the innate person. So there's innate sinfulness since conception. I've been a sinner since birth. You have to recognize that your problem is not the outward acts that you do, it's what the heart that gives life to that and spawns out this evil behavior. Lord, I need you to do the work on the inside. I need an internalized truthfulness that's going to counteract my sin. So so much, of, so much of self-improvement teaching tends to focus on externals, altering behavior, behavior modification, change the behaviors, change the patterns, just do some external rearranging of your life. And that's not the problem David sees here. He sees it's an internal one, Correct. You see that? Do the work in my heart, Lord. That's where my, my confession is focused. Lord, I need to be changed at heart. And then there's an aspiration for the pure, uh, inward purification. God, I need to be up, uh, the purgation of ritual process. I like this because he says this, purify me with hyssop. The, word, the idea of hyssop in the Old Testament was always associated with the, the temple rituals and the t- tabernacle, the, the purification of the altar and the purification of the people. When the blood was sprinkled, it was sprinkled with hyssop. It's, a, it's an action of spiritual routine and ritual that was um, mindful of God's, God's action of cleaning his people. If you purify me with hyssop, Lord, I will be clean, he says. Uh, Lord... I need to be presented as really purified so you're seeing this here I like this verse this verse is important about, about this time as you're confessing I, I, I think this is a key factor here there's an anticipation of joy of restoration I say anticipation meaning you're not going to feel joyful when you're confessing okay? and you're not going to be like oh I would just wish that I could feel God's forgiveness I wish I could just rejoice in that now no, you don't feel that now but there's an anticipation of it Listen to what he says. Make me to hear joy and gladness. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Let me hear it. <laughs> I think that people who confess uh, will hear about their repentance from others before they actually experience it. Okay? Let me hear joy and gladness. Joy and gladness is heard, but it's not experienced yet. That's coming in verse 12. Lord, let me hear the joy and gladness. I, I'm broken first. I'll rejoice later. There needs to be a, 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 tend, a, 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 a settlement with the idea that I must be broken before my sin. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. So, if confession doesn't have any brokenness to it, perhaps that's why confession never amounts to a real change in your life, because you haven't really settled with the brokenness. God hasn't. You haven't felt the 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 intense breaking of, of, of your spirit um, so it's a shallow confession perhaps Okay, I, I, each case is different, each person is different so it's not something we can assess from the outside, even from counseling one another, we can't always see where some, what God's doing in the inner heart but you know, for your own personal case that in your heart, if you confessed, are you broken now listen he goes on to say abide in the shelter of Christ, I love this David prays, "Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities." What's he asking for here? God, hide your face from my sins. He's he, uh, blot out my iniquities, blot out all of my iniquities. He's asking for God to cover his sin. We call that we call that atonement, right? We call that a covering, a, a propitiation for my sin. God, cover my sins up. Don't even look at them. In the New Testament, we learn that 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 covering, that atonement happened when? It happens and through whom? Through Christ. So we we need to learn in confession to abide in the shelter of Christ. We're asking God in our confession not to look at our sin, but to look at our Savior who died for our sins, who who covers that sin for us. If you always focus on your sin and you never turn to look at the Savior, that's, that's no wonder you always have this abiding feeling of guilt. Because you don't reckon yourself to be forgiven in the cross by Christ's satisfying and finished work. All your sins were blotted out in blood. It's, It's truly an amazing thing when you consider it and spend time meditating upon it. Sin is blotted out by Christ's blood. The provision of that price is already paid. And that allows for number 10, or verse 10. This allows you to proceed further in this process as we've been walking through 51 Chapter 51, verse 10, tells us now if we abide in the shelter of Christ, we can ache in prayer for internal transformation. Look at verse 10. It says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. He's asking for a clean heart. Once again, internal transformation is what he's required. He's not asking like we often do in our admissions. We say, hey, give me another chance. Lord, give me, I'm glad you're a God of second chances. That's not, that's not what he's praying here. God, just give me a second chance. I'll do better this time. That's not what he's praying for, is he? He's not saying, give me a second chance. He's he's asking for a clean heart, not a clean slate. It's a difference, right? Lord, I need a clean heart. Renew my faithfulness. I I need a a renewal, not a do-over. Because if I do it over the same way I did it before, I'll fail again, assuredly. Okay? A clean heart, not a clean slate. After you've recognized that, verse 11 is so important. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. What's David acknowledging in this passage as he's confessing? Well, he's acknowledging his absolute dependence upon the Holy Spirit for transformation. Okay, So he's abandoned all self-dependence here. He's not depending on himself and not depending on his own wit and his own strategies and his own plans and his, his, his new action plan he's going to have for personal transformation. He's dependent entirely upon the Holy Spirit of God to awaken his heart to stir him towards righteousness. As he abides in crisis he's aching in prayer for this internal transformation. Abandoned, he's abandoning himself to self de- all self-dependence. Then lastly, verse 12. Now, now you'll see joy surge up in his heart okay? notice how, how long it has been since there was brokenness until verse 12 there's now, now there's joy but there's not joy immediately <clears throat> okay? assurance of salvation he says this restore unto me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit Lord uh, I know you alone give me joyful assurances I take no joy of my own strength, of those of those around me. I don't rejoice in anything that you've given me, except for what you can do. I take my joy from you, Lord, and sustain me with a willing spirit. This is the idea that um, he's a assur- he's that uh, we receive assurance when we become willing and pliable and supple to the process of what God's trying to accomplish. Okay, Lord. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Turn my spirit to make it willing, to make it pliable, to make it uh, conducive to what you're trying to do. Stop, make, stop, take, break this rebel heart. Okay, so these are the things you're praying in your confession. Now, verse 13 is a fruit of confession done well. Okay, when confession is proceeded through these various, process, those various steps, I like, oh, they're not really steps, these are happenings simultaneously a lot of times but you're proceeding through this confession properly and biblically the result is a true confessor then becomes a a witness someone who's um, becomes very exercised to try to help others find restoration from sin okay he says then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you he becomes someone who's not only a forgiven sinner now he's warning other sinners from the potential of Danger from their continuing in sin themselves. Okay, he's he's a he becomes a teacher uh, and a a witness here. Uh, So verse thirteen is an attempt to teach the life lessons learned the hard way. Okay, your deliverance is for God's glory. If God restores you, you seek others' restoration. And he says, "Deliver me from the from my blood guiltiness." Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God. Now, that's interesting. That word deliver is still in the present tense. So he's saying that, he's not saying, thank you, God, for having delivered me in the past. It's, Lord, deliver me. I need your present, constant deliverance. I need ongoing sanctification, okay? I need ongoing salvation. I use that word, ongoing salvation, just to mean that, Lord, you're doing a continual work of rescuing me from my sin, okay? So... Verses uh, 14 and 15 tell us to announce the righteousness of God. A restored life creates rejoicing lips, doesn't it? A recognition of the ongoing salvation of God. Deliver me, O Lord, from my blood guiltiness. Then my tongue will sing joyfully of your righteousness. Lord, I want to be singing your praises again without the sense of distance between us, um, without having our relationship... um, I guess, not, not severed, but there's something in the relationship that creates distance there, okay? Oh, Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Then there's a seek to appease God through remaining broken. Confession, as I said, is a process. It's not a one-time event. One and done, okay? Hey, I, I've prayed the magical prayer of, repent, of, of confession. I can move on happily ever after. That's not scriptural confession, Notice David's continual attitude of brokenness here. Um, He says, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. That's interesting because I thought the whole Old Testament was about that. (laughs) Don't you? You read that and you're like, whoa, that's a a stunning shot across the bow. And you say, wow, God doesn't delight in sacrifices? Oh, Oh, wait, he's making a very important point here. He doesn't delight in sacrifices offered from unconfessed, unrepentant people, okay? In fact, Jesus said, if you've offended your brother, make sure you go seek his restoration before you come to offer your gift at the altar, before you come to worship. Get it right with him. Confession, if a Christian is doing confession biblically, he knows that this unconfessed sin is inhibiting his ability to worship God freely and clearly, David's saying the same thing here. Same thing as Jesus was saying. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So he's he's recognizing, God, you will respond to a broken heart. It's important to recognize this. Verses 18 and 19 are here. And then you see a restoration of worship, attendance to restoration of worship, uh, it says here on verse eighteen. By your favor, that's God's grace. By your favor, God, you do do good design, build the walls of Jerusalem. Now, as a result, he says, "What my sin has destroyed, what our sin collectively as a nation has ruined and destroyed and corrupted in our worship, you're going to rebuild by your grace. God's grace rebuilds what sin destroys, whether that sin is." a sin against your spouse against your children or against some other brother or sister in Christ whatever it might be the, the way that re, that restoration occurs is by God's ongoing grace operating through confession in your life so confession before sacrifice we see that all over the Bible before you worship confession is key contrition begets, begets a desire to sacrifice if you're truly confessing it, it makes you excited to engage in worship Biblical confession makes you makes you get enthusiastic and desirous to be among God's people to sing His praises because you have experienced God's grace and restoration, haven't you? And now, when you stand in the assembly of God's people, you're you are rejoicing. You're, you're singing loud. You're you're pouring out your heart in praise because you know and have been uh, impacted and transformed by God's amazing grace. So when when you say, "Hey, I confess, but I still feel guilty," I wonder, have you? Have you walked through Psalm 51 recently? Have you thought about these more carefully? Does your confession sound like this? And perhaps your confession is is maybe a little shallow in relation to what we see here. Now at this point I'm sure you must be thinking, wow, change is really hard. <laughs> you bet it is. It's impossible. But you need but you can it can be done with God's grace that makes it possible. Change is hard, but real change is possible if you pursue it with God's principles. So now it's time to take... It's now, it, now we need to take a look at the second step of change. I say a second step, although these often work tandem together consecutively. Not consecutively, uh, together. Um, so that is the idea of repentance. So what's the difference between confession and repentance? Well, there's not much difference here, but there is something of a difference. Confession is part of repentance, it's like a sub-part of repentance. If you're confessing, you are already beginning the repentance. Okay? And repentance will require a practice of biblical confession. So they're sort of overlapping in the scriptures in the way that they're used. But a repentance is a change of mind that leads to a changed life. It's a change of mindset that sets in motion a whole new series of choices and actions. Repentance is the visible part of the, tra- of the change that begins, okay? Um, repentance is shown to be truly genuine in the fruits that follow as a result. So next week, when we get together, we're going to ca- talk about repentance. It, repentance was featured heavily in Christ's first sermon. It's featured just as heavily in his last sermon. You see that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach his first recorded sermon, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at ha- hand. As, as he left this earth in Luke chapter 24, his disciples were commissioned with the message. The last sermon of Jesus said that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, would be proclaimed in his name through all nations. So repentance is a key feature of Christianity and change. If you go to a church and doesn't preach repentance, you're not in a gospel preaching church. Repentance is all, all throughout every, every theme of Christian teaching. Every time we're confronted with the truth of of the word of God, there's something to repent from, right? Don't come to church expecting not to change. (laughs) Half the reason why we don't change is we come we're not expecting to. We come ready to repent for what we've heard and and, uh, what we've been confronted with in God's word. So next week, we'll talk about repentance a little more. And I really want to get to mortification. What's mortification? And that's another important teaching of scripture that's so critical for help and actually making the change necessary. But all of it requires divine grace for change. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to just once again look at this topic. Make us good confessors of our sin. Help us not to let a day go by where you convict us of our need to confess, not just to you quietly and perhaps privately, but in areas where we have sinned against another, that we would make that known to them and and seek their forgiveness lord i pray that we would be christians known as faithful and biblical confessors and by that means lord you will change us you will transform us and uh, lord i thank you for this precious truth from your word we ask this for your help in, in doing these things we've heard they're hard they're difficult but the holy spirit makes us able and we ask this in christ's name amen